Good morning, everyone. I'm Chris, lead pastor, senior pastor here at Trinity. So glad to be with you. I did wake up and check my phone this morning on the one day or two days of the year where I'm meant to wear a t-shirt to church to promote Alpha. It's the coldest day of the year. So there you go. Um, Two things. Number one, yes, I have tattoos, so you can just look at them, uh, get it out of the way, and then we can move past it. Uh, I did not spend time in prison. Uh, These did not happen. Uh, I have a testimony, but it is not because I lived some sort of sketchy past. I just love tattoos. And if you want tattoos, I can hook you up with a friend who could uh, do a good job. So (laughs) holler at me. Uh, He actually goes to this church. He's an awesome man. So God bless you. Um, Let's move right on past the tattoo curiosity if we can. (laughs) Secondly, tomorrow is uh, MLK Day. And uh, I, I hope, I hope, hope, hope that you will stop and you will think about Um, who I think is the most important man to ever live in this city. And I get emotional when I think about Dr. King uh, because so much of what he came to do still needs to be done. And I hope that tomorrow you will stop and think not just about Dr. King, but I hope you will think about um, people who live on the margins. I hope you will think about the poor. I hope you will think about race. I hope you will think about how those things interplay into your own story and your own life. And at the risk of being um, overly bold, which I am uh, known to, to be sometimes, uh, I would encourage you, uh, if you have the margins, um, to pick up Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. And if you are not a reader, I would encourage you to go see the film, uh, Just Mercy. I was blessed to go and see Uh, this uh, movie as a a kind of sneak preview uh, about a week ago. And um, while I don't believe movies should ever absolve you of responsibility to read a book, uh, both are so good. And in my view, uh, Stevenson is uh, carrying on the spirit of Dr. King's work through legal advocacy for death row inmates and has been doing this work for over 30 years. Uh, And I know in my own life, uh, the needle doesn't move on social issues for me until my heart moves. And if you find that um, for you, uh, issues of justice and issues of race have become for you primarily political issues, I just want to say to you, um, these issues are not political issues in the sense that they solely belong to that arena. Uh, Justice is at the very heart of God. And if we can transcend our politics and think about justice as a kingdom thing, That when God's word spreads to the ends of the world, part of what that means is that then we begin to be the kinds of people who care about the things God cares about. So please don't allow these issues to become for you political issues. Allow these issues to become kingdom issues. And in my view, Stevenson does as good a job as any living person that I'm aware of in reframing these issues in a way that will capture your heart and your imagination and actually make you start praying. So let's celebrate Dr. King tomorrow but let's celebrate Dr. King by actually doing some digging, some research. I'm going to be taking my family to see Just Mercy, the whole crew tomorrow. Uh, and I hope that you will uh, look for opportunities to actually have these conversations in your own hearts with your friends and with your family members because y'all is so, so important. Um, Dr. King said, uh, true peace is not the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. You just think about that for a minute. (laughs) If you have your Bibles, turn to John 1. It's never a good sign when I start crying before I even open the Bible. (laughs) Or maybe it is a good sign. 
We're going to read verses uh, 35 to 42, and then we're going we're to look at Jesus and look at people who are curious about Jesus. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. And he brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. God, we ask you today to give us courage to uh, look at the Bible with fresh eyes. Holy Spirit, we need your help to do that, God, because many of us, we've heard these stories, we've thought about these stories, and frankly, for many of us, if we're reading John 1, this is the one part of that chapter that we don't find very interesting. The bits before it are much more exciting. Behold the Lamb of God, John, you saw uh, Jesus, and yet now we see this more obscure story about two people. I pray that you would help us to see these words and to think about our own lives and to think about our own responsibility toward you and toward other people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to walk right through this passage with an eye toward really trying to hear. Uh, if, if, I were, um, if I were naming this, uh, this sermon, which I don't, I, I've never been permitted to name anything, uh, not my children, not our dogs, nothing. Um, early on in our marriage, I uh, felt like I just had this really creative and eclectic sense of style and naming. And I realized after some marital counseling, it just meant I didn't have any style so, or, or, or ability in this area. So I've delegated naming uh, children and, and dogs and sermons and all kinds of things to people who are better at, better at it than me. But if I were naming this, I would name it two questions and an invitation. And I want you to think about two questions and an invitation as we walk through these words. Because I believe that this lies at the very heart of Jesus' heart for humans, including all y'all and every person outside these walls who doesn't know Jesus. Two questions and an invitation. The number one movement in this passage is uh, the, the idea of curiosity. Uh, These two friends who are followers of of John, they're disciples of John. They're people who'd actually align their lives to look at what John has to say. And if you have been here at Trinity uh, during the Advent season or maybe in in history during our Lenten journey, you know that John the baptizer was a person who called people to think about their lives in a fresh way. John was the forerunner, the preparer for Jesus. He did all that work to get people ready, soften people up. But he wasn't Jesus. Jesus. He couldn't do what Jesus would do. And John knew that. Well, all these people start following John. They start thinking about their lives. They start uh, asking real questions about purpose and priority and where they're headed. And they, they're really into John and for really good reason. John is essentially the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's this last clear voice that is more like Elijah, frankly, than Jesus. He's an Old Testament guy but he's the very last one before Jesus comes. And what we see in this story is that curiosity 
prompts two men, two people, one of whom would become a key disciple of Jesus at the very least to uh, leave John and start following Jesus. And I just want to say this about curiosity. John invited people to look at Jesus. He said, look, here's the Lamb of God. We sang that song, behold the Lamb of God. And John was the kind of guy who drew curiosity out of people, who sparked curiosity. He was a curiosity inducer. And I believe that if we are going to take texts like this seriously, if we're going to recover evangelism and what it means, if we're going to lean into the spirit of what we're doing, starting on Thursday night at the Monday Night Garage with Alpha, we all need to, as we are able, decide that we want to be the kinds of people who stir curiosity in other people, essentially the kinds of people who say, look, there's Jesus. And I believe that's not just John the Baptizer's job. I don't believe that's just my job as a professional Christian. I believe that it's the job of every single one of us to desire to be the kind of person who stirs curiosity in other people. The Lord wants you to be the kind of person who stirs and sparks curiosity in other people concerning Jesus. I remember hearing uh, one of my heroes in the faith, John Wimber, tell a story. uh, He's dead now. He's with the Lord. But when he was living... John founded the Vineyard Movement, which is where I come from, uh, where this church comes from, where our roots are in a denomination, a movement called the Vineyard. And John was a a California guy. He was in the music industry and he got saved. And um, John was not the coolest guy in the world. He used to refer to himself as a fat guy going to heaven. Uh, So John was not sexy, if you will. Um, And yet he tells this story about sitting in in an airport. And you've probably heard me tell this story, but you need to hear it again because I think it speaks to this curiosity piece. He was sitting at the end of a bank of chairs at the airport and a young woman was sitting at the very other end because, you know, people do this. They give each other maximum space. Um, And she's sitting and there's nobody between them. And then he looks up after reading for a while and she'd got up and moved about four chairs closer to him. And he noticed it and he knew, like, she ain't into me. But she's moving toward me. And then she moved again. And then she ended up sitting right next to him. And he looked over at her and he said, and I wouldn't recommend that you do this. <laughs> because he felt like the Lord said, she's being drawn to me. And so he looked at her and he said, you like it, don't you? <laughs> and she starts to weep. And she says, I do. What is it? And he led her to the Lord. And I just want to say to you, that stuff shouldn't just be reserved for superstar Christians. God wants to make you attractive. He wants to make you appealing in a transcendent sort of way. He wants you to be the kind of person who's able to say, look at Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, I pray every single day that the Lord would make me um, winsome and open and attractive to people who are seeking something more in their lives. And I'm going to tell you, I have the most interesting conversations at places like the YMCA, places where people don't know that I'm a, a rev. I have the most interesting conversations at checkout lines, and people don't know that I'm a pastor in those spaces. And I just want to say to you, God wants you to be the kind of person who prays every day that you would spark curiosity in other people concerning Jesus. 
And I believe that the way that we do that in our existing relationships is to be open and honest about our faith, is to look for open doors and then be willing to talk about who we trust and who we love and who we serve. Because I'm going to tell you, y'all, there are open doors all around you. People who are interested and maybe running into their limitations and they need to know that there's a way to be beyond and to serve someone who's beyond just their own ends and their own means and their own uh, goals. God, I believe, wants to make you the kind of person who sparks curiosity. But then on the other side, um, we have to be curious people to do that. And when I think about this story and these two people who were willing to follow Jesus, um, these people were alert, they were awake, they were curious. And I just want to ask you the question, um, as you step into a new year, are you alert? Are you awake? Are you even curious? Because you'll never spark it in other people if it's not true in you. And I believe the Lord wants us to be the kinds of people who are aware of the numbing factors that come into play in our life. Y'all, disappointment, sadness, and anger, these are numbing forces in our lives. And if we don't know what to do with those things, if we don't know what to do with disappointment and with sadness and anger... Um, we'll be the kinds of people who increasingly fall asleep. And some of us come into this room right now and you have been lulled to sleep through pain. And I would just say to you that Jesus wants to go through a process with you of waking you up. But the way that you begin to wake up is to acknowledge that there are things at play in your life maybe that are numbing you out. This is why we eat too much, drink too much. This is why we engage in unhealthy sexual habits. Y'all, we have these things in our lives that we've not acknowledged, and then we just grab onto things that give us a sense of escape and comfort. Y'all, the Lord wants to wake us up. He wants us to be curious. If you are curious, you will find Jesus, and you will end up leading people to Jesus. It's not rocket science. It's about being awake. It's about being alert. It's about being aware that Jesus can do something. God wants you to sustain curiosity. And I'm going to tell you in my own life, I sustain my curiosity through living my life with God, through reading and prayer, through exercise, through conversations of vulnerability, through learning new things. I have a whole plan in my life at pl- in place to stir and maintain curiosity, to keep myself awake and alert. And I just want to say to you, God wants you to be the kind of person who stays awake on purpose. If you don't have a purposeful plan, you will not remain alert and awake and curious. You've got to stir curiosity because everything out there All the factors and forces at play in your life are actually designed to put you to sleep. So are you awake? And if you're not, what are you going to do about it? We want to help you by challenging you to grow. So Jesus turns to these two curious men. The second movement in this passage is he asks them, what are you looking for? That's the first of those two questions. I love the fact that the first words recorded in John's gospel, they're a question Jesus actually looks at two people and he says, what do you really want? And I just want to ask you this question. Do you know what you really want? Because what you really want and what you sometimes say you want are not the same thing. And I love the fact that Jesus actually legitimately wants to know what people want. Where do you want your life to go? That's why during the Alpha Course we say, is there more to life than this? These questions of life. That's why we lead with the question mark because Jesus seems to lead with the question mark. And I would say to you that Jesus looks at you, he looks at me, he looks at friends that don't know him and he wants you to be the kind of person who answers, what do I really want? Where do I really want my story to go? 
What am I looking for? What am I seeking? I want to read you a quote from Leslie Newbigin. He was a, a bishop, a pastor in God's church, and he says this. Do we have that quote? Yep. He says, we are questioned, challenged, called upon to take responsibility for the direction of our seeking. In all the accounts of Jesus' teaching and practice, this element of probing and questioning is prominent. What do you think? What do you want me to do for you? And so here at the very beginning of the first recorded saying of Jesus is such a question, what are you looking for? It is a question put to everyone, and at some point, one has to answer it. I believe that we would all do well to ponder Jesus' question to these first friends of his. What are we seeking? What are you really after? Because if it's just money and success, you can go get that somewhere else. If it's just power and privilege, you can go find that somewhere else. Especially if the deck is stacked in your favor. But if you're looking for that transcendent sense of truly being good, truly aligning with a purpose bigger than yours, you can't find that apart from Jesus. It just doesn't work. So really, you got to get clear about what you really want, where your story's headed. And I love how these people respond. The third movement in this passage is they respond to Jesus' question with a question. They say, where do you live? And this is really important because they could have just said, I want wisdom. Give me some wisdom. They could have said, I want the secret to a happy marriage. They could have said, I want to know who's going to win the next World Series so I can bet on it. They could have said, I want to be taller. I want my babies to go to a good college. But they didn't. To the question, what do you want? They answer, where do you spend your time? Essentially, what they're asking for is access to Jesus, not just to his wisdom, not just to his teaching, not just to his principles, but they want to know, where do you actually spend your time? What they're asking for in this moment is access to Jesus. May we see where and how you live your life. And this is not the question that casually interested people tend to ask. These men actually say, will you invite us in? Which leads us to the next movement, the response. Jesus could have said, listen to my sermons. See you at the meet and greet on Sunday afternoon, the potluck. But he says, come and see. So what do you want? Where do you live? Come and see. Two questions and a response, which is an invitation. Jesus gives them an invitation to come close to him. We can come close to God and know him. We can have our lives changed. But we have to be curious and we have to respond. We have to get clear about where our story is going. And I just love the fact that Jesus in this moment says to them, I want you to come and spend time with me. And we're not told what happens. We're told that it happened at four o'clock in the afternoon and that they spent the day with him. That there was a kind of unhurried exchange. And we're not told what happens, but we are told that they were with Jesus. And then after that, they had some sort of life-changing experience in this unnamed, unhurried space that they had where Jesus said, come and see. And they came and they saw. 
And I believe the Lord wants you to be the kind of person who decides that you're going to spend time with Jesus so that your wants, your desires will actually be transformed and changed. Over time, as I've learned to spend time with God, a kind of consistent, unhurried time with God through reading and through prayer, through walking my dog, being outside, through trusted and vulnerable conversations with people, through learning about God and learning about the world, through the pursuit of uh, knowledge and learning and growing. These things have actually transformed my desires and my wants. And I'm not the same kind of person that I was when I was a bit lazy in my walk with God or a bit inconsistent in my pursuit of God. I believe the Lord wants us to be the kinds of people who believe that if we move toward God, he will actually move toward us and he will do something. That phrase, come and see, is a famous phrase for John. He says it over and over again. Come and see, that word of Jesus is this unreserved invitation to move toward him, to to enter in, to come close, to find out for yourself. And I believe that the Lord looks at you and he looks at me and he says, if you want, you can come and see. And y'all, the way that we do this, Christians have been doing this for a really long time. We've been cultivating through spiritual practices a way to come and see what God is like, to experience his life and his joy and his heart. And I just want to say to you, unreservedly, that is available to you. It's available to all of us. That's not reserved just for super Christians. It's for every person who would ask. I actually have a friend right now who's not a believer. And you know what he's doing? He's reading the Bible and he's sitting in silence because he wants to come and see whether this is all real or not. I told him, I was like, read the Bible one chapter at a time. He wrote me back a few days later and said, I'm afraid I'm ahead of schedule. Are you moving ahead of schedule? Are you curious enough to actually do something about this? Or is this just your parents' religion? And when you get into your 40s, it can't be your parents' religion anymore. It's got to be yours. Jesus wants us to come and see. He wants us to spend time And I find myself asking this question, what does it look like for me to continually come and see? And I want to ask you the question, what does it look like for you to continually come and see? We want to help you. But you've got to be willing to say, I want that. Number five, at Jesus' invitation, these two men are granted access. They actually come and hang out. And we're not told what happens, but we are told that something happens, that they spend time and that time changes them. For me, the places where I spend most of my time with God are on the belt line and on the very edge of my couch at the very end of our sectional sofa every morning. I read my Bible there, I pray there, and then I go and walk my dog Jolene on the belt line on the west side. She's a big American bulldog and she and I hang out with Jesus. We talk uh, because I'm out there, nobody's on the West Side Beltline, unfortunately. Uh, but for me, maybe it's okay, because I don't feel like such a fool when I'm out there talking to Jesus and walking with Jolene. But I got spaces where I spend that unhurried time. And I just want to ask you to think about whether or not you are willing to put some intentionality around whether you'll spend time with God. Do you need something from the Lord? If you do, I believe God wants to do something for you. And here's where we'll end it. 
ultimately names are changed. And I don't think there's any coincidence that Peter gets a new name at the end of this kind of exchange. God wants to actually change us. He doesn't want to leave you and me just like we are. He wants to actually shift things around inside of us. He wants us to cultivate a new and emerging identity, something that moves us from being one kind of person to a new kind of person. That's Jesus' desire for every one of you is that you would change. We all need to. The question is, are we open to it? Here's what I want to say to you before we come to communion. Um, I wish we could see all six of these, but I gave six, and normally it's like you know four or something. They fit better. Um, let's go back to the first two. Um, and then I'm going to trust you to remember these things. So curiosity, what are you looking for? Go ahead. We'll put them all up. Um, where are you staying? Come and see. Unhurried access. Names are changed. Is I challenge you to think about what it looks like for you to be a person who is like Jesus. I believe that for every one of us, we need to be on the lookout for curious people. We need to be the kinds of people who ask questions of those people like, where do you, where do you want to go? What are you looking for? And then I would encourage us to be the kinds of people who um, move toward people who want access to us. Who are able to give people access. I would encourage us to be the kinds of people who spend time with other people in social spaces who don't yet know God. So that life change would happen. This is not just a template for Jesus. I believe that this is a template for you. And it's not rocket science. Y'all, we have a growing list of people who are coming to Alpha who have admitted in a form that they're not Christians. And I just want you to think about that. We ask people, are you a growing Christian? Are you a Christian, you know, that, that would say I am Christian, but I'm not necessarily growing? Or are you not a Christian? And we're seeing in this Alpha course of those 400 people that there is a large and growing number of people who are coming to spend time with us talking about Jesus who would admit that they do not know Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to pray for those people over the next seven weeks. People would come and see and that they would come to know the Lord. Y'all, there is no higher calling, no greater calling than for us to participate in this great work. And I would ask you to join us by praying as we walk through the next seven weeks, praying for our friends to come to know Jesus, that they would come and trust him. It's a gift to be a part of something so real, something so connected to God's heart. If you are able, let's stand together. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ's likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.